So folks, welcome here once again to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. And here today we have Mandy Thomas and Seth Plater. Both of the, well, all three of us, I should say, are all uh, part of the Sioux Nation team. And we have a curious little topic for uh, this panel here today. What do you do with 10 acres of grass? Now, this is something that uh, people run into, whether you own an acreage or just maybe just bought an acreage and are not sure what to do with the grass that's not going to be in your yard. Or maybe you farm several thousand acres and you just have a little bit that you can't farm here or there. So we were just kind of kicking this idea around and thought we'd bring this conversation to all of you and put some thoughts out there. So, Seth, you, you had just a great way to start into this because this is your predicament right now. Yeah, definitely, Dr. Jake. I, uh, you know, recently bought a bought an acreage, um, got about 10 acres worth of, worth of grass. Um, the fence isn't doing too good. The hay ground isn't all that great, but it can work. Um I've got adequate outbuildings mm-hmm. and just trying to, uh, trying to understand what's the best way to utilize this, this acreage. Mm-hmm. So does a guy get a couple cow calf pairs, throw a few sheep out there, just hay it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a question a lot of us run into. And I mean, Mandy, you work uh, with small ruminants, I think, more than anybody else in this organization. I'm, could you comment on the the aspect of doing sheep or goats or what the positives would be? And, and you know, be honest, maybe a little bit what some of the negatives might be for people, especially if this isn't something that's their forte. Sure, Jake. So small ruminants are definitely a unique, unique species within the livestock. Um Sheep and goats, obviously two separate species, but we tend to lump them together. And I love sheep. I love goats, but they're not necessarily the easiest things to manage. And a lot of that has to do with they're just not necessarily as hardy as something like a cow-calf pair. You might throw that cow out and not look at her for a couple months, and she'll probably come through just fine. But you get into some bad grass or you get into not enough grass, you get into parasite problems. You may not have a sheep left by the end of the summer on those 10 acres. So there's a lot of management issues that go into raising sheep and goats that people don't necessarily think about before they get sheep and goats. That said, that's where your money is, is sheep and goats. The margins on those have been going up until recently. Well, <laughs> take out, take out the uh, coronavirus. Take out, take out the craziness. Yeah. This was setting up to be one of the best years, um, especially on the sheep market until we had all that craziness and yeah. it all collapsed. But otherwise that sector is getting to the point where you aren't losing money. The market's getting bigger every year. We can't meet the demand. We import so much meat from Australia and New Zealand on the sheep and goat side that our American can our American producers can never meet that demand. Um, so and then add to it South Dakota's taste for Chislick, which creates kind of a little bit of a local. Exactly. Chislick is, is where it's at, but, and South Dakota's the fifth largest sheep producer in the country. So we may not have the big range flocks like Wyoming, Montana, Utah, but we have a lot of sheep here. So there's a lot of good knowledge in the state, but it's not something that I would jump into without having a little bit of, idea of what I was doing before I decided to go get sheep or goats. 
Because most of the calls I get are from people who are having problems. And they're having problems because they weren't prepared for what can happen. Sure. And maybe a question I have for you on this, because I I run into it a fair amount, is the parasite resistance issue. Um, Do you run into um, people that have had goats and sheep on a small, small piece of ground and, and too many animals long enough that they simply can't, they can't even raise animals on that ground anymore because of parasites. Right. And part of the problem, East River here in South Dakota, and you get into Iowa and places like that where we do get quite a bit of moisture. And if you aren't managing your pastures, you aren't rotating, you aren't giving that ground time to regenerate and to kill the parasites off. And you run into really hot, moist summers sometimes. Uh, You really can get into the point where the parasites are so resilient to everything that you're doing to them. Uh, One of the best ways you could do that is if you're multi-species grazing. So if you bring, if you run sheep or goats and then you run cattle or you run horses behind them, that's really the best one. That'll help negate the parasite cycle because they'll break it up and knock it down. But you're exactly right. There are a lot of people that have really ruined parasites. And this is the problem in sheep and goats is for the last 30 years, everyone's been doing a specific program. Every spring, every fall, you deworm and you use the same thing or you rotate them. So then now you created a bigger problem because you rotated it and you exposed these parasites to things they shouldn't have been exposed to. Mm -hmm. And so now all your dewormers don't work. It's such a complex issue. It's something we could talk about for weeks and still not necessarily have a good answer. But that's why dry lot has become really, really kind of a big deal, especially where we are. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because that way you're not worrying about your parasite problems and you don't have to worry about rotating pastures constantly and making Sure. sure you don't use dewormers. But there is a genetic component to parasite resistance, mm-hmm. that's just another cog in the wheel. All the different components with that. So basically, if you got a little piece of grass and you have the work ethic and maybe the the taste for sheep and goats, it's an option. It's a profitable option, but you need to know what you're doing before you get too excited about it. Yes, you definitely need to know what you're doing before you get into sheep and goats. And I'm the first person to say, if you have an interest, jump in with both feet, but know who to call when you need help because you're going to need help. And it's a, it's an uphill learning curve. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I definitely, I wouldn't go out and buy a hundred head for 10 acres (laughs) and expect to be able to raise them on pasture all summer. Well, that's a good question. How, what is a stocking? Let's, we're, we're going to say, let's, let's take Seth's example. He's in, uh, Eastern South Dakota within an hour of Sioux Falls. So what would be a typical, typical in quotation mark stocking rate on a domestic grass pasture in that area? I mean, in a good year, I'd say maybe a couple per five acres. Sure. If you want to run them all summer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to do intensive grazing, you could probably bump it up to maybe five per acre. Mm-hmm. If you have enough that you can rotate them and rest your ground. So if you had a dry lot that you could kind of kick them off for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. Or you're moving that hot wire every and day. And you're moving that hot wire every day and you're doing small intensive grazing. You sure. might be able to do it up to that much. Mm-hmm. That That's if you're hardcore managing everything that's going on. Sure. But you're almost better off understocking than overstocking because it's South Dakota. You know, it's, it's so unpredictable. <laughs> we could be 
flooding right now and by August dries bone. Yeah, that's for sure. So with that in mind, the next question is, is, well, what about cattle? We've got a hardier animal. And Seth, you were talking about maybe trying a couple cow-calf pairs. You know, what's your thoughts kind of there with that? Yeah, my thought process on the cow-calf pair would be obviously to have a female that could continue to produce offspring. And then, you know, you'll you'll take those offspring and sell it to the local families in the area as halves or quarters. Um, and then obviously just be, be grass fed. Mm-hmm. So trying to just find a niche market basically yeah, to drop them less. into is what you're looking at. Yep. Yeah. Jake, what about horses? What about haying? What about? Oh, there's so many different options there. And I think maybe when you talk about horses, um, it opens up the question of what's your goal at the piece of ground? You know, my, my grandpa bred horses and always told me that the best way to make a small fortune in horses is to start with a large fortune. So, <laughs> so <True> if <laughs> that being the case, I mean, there's, uh, the, and that, I think that's a, a valid question of kind of what's your goal, you know, as you said, what about haying? What about horses? You know, you know, on the cattle end, mm-hmm. the thing that kind of comes to my mind is what about buying calves and, uh, putting, uh, just some grass calves out there now, uh, you have to decide what kind of grass calves you like, or you want to finish them, or you want to background them. Uh, obviously, you take some price risk on that. However, you do have an animal that, if you buy the correct type of calf, I would not recommend buying the cheapest thing you found at the sale barn. Uh, I've seen that and how that goes. And if you do that, uh, be prepared to not just leave them out there and not look at them. You are going to have to babysit them because you're, you're going to have some health issues that you're going to have to attack. Uh, but if you get some pretty straight calves, then it may be a, a way to turn a little profit as long as the market works in your favor. If you have a bigger chunk of grass, you could think about actually doing something for price protection. But uh, 10 acres, I don't think we're going to do that. What about certified hay? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I think I, that was the, really the question that kind of sparked this discussion, wasn't it? It sure was. <laughs> so... The certified weed-free hay thing uh, intrigues me vastly. I know that, uh, you know, you probably, could you comment maybe a little bit on that, Mandy, about what what is with that program? I've, I've only dabbled my toes into it. I know that if you're going to take horses on forest land, you cannot bring hay onto forest land that's not certified weed-free. Right. So it's getting to be that time of year where everyone wants to go to the Black Hills or further west and wants to go riding. And when you go riding in those places, you cannot bring in anything that is not certified weed-free hay. But where do you find certified weed-free hay? That's the question. Mm -hmm. So I know once you get out there, you can find it. They sell it everywhere because... Everybody needs it. Everybody needs it. What about here on the east side of the state? What do you do if you're getting ready to go and you want to be prepared before you get there? Where do you find it? Yeah. Exactly. There's there's not a lot. I know that there's only one person, I think, at this point, East River, last I checked, that's doing it, which good for them. You know, sorry yeah. for bringing more people in for you. But uh, now the process, I know, is a little bit more. Uh, you, you, obviously, you can't just say, look, it's certified without actually being certified. You have to have the person come out, do the certification process. There is a fee associated with that. Um, I then also per bail, there is a fee of, I believe, 10 cents, which pretty much just pays for the uh the twine that designates this as a certified weed-free right. uh, hay. And obviously you have to not have weeds. 
So that uh, that may preclude some pieces of grass. <laughs> you may have to work on your uh, spraying program. Yeah. So yeah. And then is there is there any money in that? Then I mean, right now it currently is being hayed as we speak. If I go weed free, what are the benefits there? I guess what you're saying is is the markup over the correct over generic. Uh, uh, square bale price because I mean we're we are talking small square bales or as uh, one of our colleagues likes to refer to them as idiot cubes. But uh, <laughs> that being said, I think all of us would you know all the gyms are closed. So what else are we going to do? So I I guess what when you look at it, it's it's a niche market and you know the the dabbling I've done in it is is there definitely is an there is a nice margin over small squares but once again it's it's a niche market so it's one of those that you have to be able to plug into and be ready when the market needs it talking about it earlier where people would want to plug into that market and they uh people may want hay now on uh let's say memorial day weekend well nobody has hay cut so you have to have that hay when you have that hay well and you have to everybody's going to be different so if you have the equipment to hay and you already have all that investment made and you're happy with where you're at. I mean, making small squares isn't that expensive to begin with. It may not be the most profitable if you're talking about feeding a large herd of animals. But if you're talking about a small amount of ground, it's not that expensive. You're spending most, the most of your money goes to labor more than anything. So if you're looking at a niche market, depending on what your margins actually are, I think it could be super profitable. And if you get a good reputation, there's the next 10 years of your life sold out in advance, basically. Yeah, pretty much. The question, like it comes back down to is labor. Are you right. going, who are you going to have help you? And, uh, you know, as, as you say, you look at the, I've got the 10 acres of grass. It's a little different story if you have, you know, two boys in high school that right. need something to do this summer versus if you Do the neighbor boys need help or exactly. need a job? Exactly. That, that labor thing gets to be, it's a pickle in a lot of things, but especially when we're talking temporary stuff like this. So, okay. So more quandaries on our 10 acres. What, what are some other things that we've talked about? Oh, you asked about the horses and. Yeah. I mean, do you have some, some fantastic marketing plan for horses? <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, I guess that, I guess really my question comes down to what do you want to do with your 10 acres? We go back to our goal. Are you looking for making money? Mm -hmm. Are you looking at what's going to make you happy? Are you looking at, you know, pleasure versus hard labor versus what are your goals with your property? Oh, sure. Do you just want to keep the grass down? Like you don't care about making money. You just moved mm -hmm. to the country and you like it and you need something to do. And I, I even look at the standpoint of, uh, you know, when you talk about the recreation aspect how about your own pheasant honey hole? Really, if you think about, you know, if you have, depending on how that that small piece of grass lays out, sometimes it is very, the reason why it's grass is it's so marginal for livestock production. Or maybe it is very good for livestock or row crop production, but you look at what you would like to utilize it for. And uh, things that come to mind is you can potentially uh, explore what uh, you can do with FSA or NRCS in, in conservation type programs with that. Before we go down that rabbit hole, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll let uh, folks from those offices be the ones to comment on options that are there, but they're there. 
Um, but even then, uh, if like when you say recreation wise, uh, the idea comes in for food plots and native grass mixes and whatnot, which, you know, can play double. They can be a forage source uh, for livestock as well as being nesting habitat. Obviously, if you're going to leave, have cover, you're going to have to leave some of them standing, but definitely something to consider as well. Have we given you any ideas yet, Seth? <laughs> no good answers, right? I, I think, I think I've got all the ideas now. <laughs> all the ideas and <laughs> none of the, the answers. Ideas. Yeah. So now all I have to do is buy one strand of hot wire and I'm good to go then, right? Well, then you're going to have to have the animals to put in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing we didn't really touch on is just fencing needs, right? When oh, it sure. comes to, when it comes to the different, different um, species of livestock, you know, one strand versus four strand versus six strand, you know, continuous mm-hmm. fence, all those things, woven wire, uh, high tinsel, et cetera. I mean, I'm sure that can be a whole nother podcast all in itself, but an expensive you know. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's a, that's a great point. I mean, it depends on where this thing is and where that lays out. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a little bit of grass and it's in the middle of a cornfield, that's one thing because you've got to be able to get to it. You've got to be able to, no matter what you do, whether it's uh, hay production or livestock, you got to be able to get to it. And if it's livestock, you got to be able to get water to it. And you got to be able to make sure they don't get into the cornfield when they run out of grass. (laughs) And then like you say, that's where the fencing comes in and what kind of fencing are you going to utilize? So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of questions with that as to how to utilize it. But I think, I think you also bring up a great point for someone who is moving out to an acreage and they maybe haven't thought about fencing. Uh, Fence isn't just a fence, isn't just a fence. At a minimum in this state, if you are going to put up what's considered a legal fence, it's got to be at least there's there's a definition in state law of what a legal fence is. It's yeah. a four-strand barbed wire fence, and the wires are at specific heights. They even go down to how you build the uh, brace posts at the end and whatnot, and how many wood posts and how far they're supposed to be apart. So if you're going to put fencing in, it's good to look up South Dakota codified law as to what's a legal fence in case that's something that would be something to consider in your situation. You in know? case everything gets into the cornfield and your neighbor hates you. There you are. That's exactly <laughs> what I was referring to. So, yeah. But, well, thank you very much for yeah. uh, entertaining this conversation because it is it is something that everybody that has a little bit of grass and that this, uh, that's such a wide range of people that have this question and have to think of something to do with it. Now, like you said, we haven't given a lot of answers, but we sure asked, given folks a lot of things to think about, so... Anything else to add before we... I think I'm good. I think this was very beneficial. That's good. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you all for coming today to have this discussion. And thank you all for listening out there. Y'all take care now. 